Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. Thank you for being here. I have the privilege of giving you a bunch of announcements before we get into the message today. How you guys enjoying this message series through the Holy Spirit? It's been good for you? It's been so good for me. We're on like week 12, and we're almost done. We're going to finish right before Christmas, and that's intentional. Um, but a couple of things coming up that I want to let you know about. Right after the service, we have our first part of Growth Track. So Maddie mentioned it, but if you've never been through Growth Track, it's our Next Steps class, a great way to find out a little bit more about how to get plugged in here at City Church. And there's also no obligation by going to it. It's 30 minutes right after the service. Lunch is provided, and it's a great way to find out more about how to get plugged in and take some next steps. So if you're interested and you didn't sign up, then we've already got food for you and we're ready for you. You can hang out right at the service. It'll start right at 12. It's over at 1230. We'd love to have you. If you did sign up, don't forget, you signed up, so you should probably go, okay? Uh, we definitely bought food for you. Um, a couple of quick announcements for you before we get into the message today. We have a night of worship and prayer coming up this Friday. You guys ready for it? You're like, yeah, I didn't know it was coming, but now I am. So night of worship and prayer, kind of getting over our Thanksgiving hangover here. Night of worship and prayer, Friday, December 9th at 6 p.m. here at City Church. We've got childcare available from the little bitties to kindergarten. It's an incredible evening, very different from a weekend gathering. Uh, lots of, of worship music and time to pray alone and together and over one another. Also, it's a very intentional posture in the holiday season of kind of gearing up for the Christmas uh, moment. And so we're also going to be fasting over this week. I'm inviting you today into, if you've never fasted before, it's okay. I'm going to give you just a really quick little bit of instructions. Uh, but this week, we kind of do this intentionally to posture our hearts toward attention to God, attention to what God's doing in and around us, and then leading up to this night of worship and prayer. And that evening is going to be focused on drawing near to God, but also kind of reflecting on God's nearness to us and sharing that with the world around us. And so it's kind of kind of two-part piece of, of the Advent season. And so as we fast this week, I'm going to give you a few instructions. This is all invitational. you hear more about it in your groups as well, but I want to give you the heads up. Here's a quick uh, couple of definitions for you. Fasting, the way we define it here at City Church, is giving up something that we love to pursue what we love even more. So, like, broccoli doesn't count if you don't, you know, like broccoli. Giving up things that we love in order to pursue what we love even more, i.e., that's Jesus and the things that Jesus loves, that's people. You guys tracking with me? But a more specific de definition, the one I want to lean into for this week, uh, John Mark Comer says it beautifully. He says that fasting is intentionally creating a hunger inside of ourselves so that we can feed on the Holy Spirit. So we've been in this series, and we're going to use our bodies to create attention toward God and what he's doing in and through us. I think I have another definition. Yeah, do I have that one? Hey, look at that. Fasting is, John Piper said, whole body hungering for God. And so in the past, we've done different variations of fasting where you could maybe fast from social media or like, uh, uh, you know, coffee, which is a terrible idea, or, or alcohol or, or, or just something that you'd be giving up. Um, and it could be all kinds of varieties. But this week, I want to challenge you with something specific. Historically, throughout the first century, Jesus followers had the core practice of fasting, which is very kind of 
different for us in the West, and it was a routine of every Wednesday and Friday, a 12-hour or 24-hour period of fasting from food. So literally fasting from food, sun up to sundown, and I'm inviting you not to a week, like as in five days leading up to Friday of, you know, no, no Netflix, what's that new Adam Sandler movie? Wednesday, no Wednesday, you know, no Walking Dead or whatever your thing is. Um, we're going to press into the specific invitation this week, and we've never done this as a church, um, but on Wednesday and Friday alone, just like it was early Jesus followers, a 12 or 20 hour, 24 hour period of fasting from food. Sun up to sun down. The good news is that's like four o'clock right now, right? So you're not actually starving yourself too long. But again, what are we doing? We're intentionally taking a, a, a break, a step back from food in order to create an internal hunger that we then direct toward God. This is not earning favor with God. God doesn't like you more when you fast. In fact, you're going to be hangry, and it kind of pulls out some stuff inside of you that maybe is less than spiritual feeling, and that's on purpose because it's meant to create a hunger and a dependence on God and the things of God. So the invitation this week, and you'll hear more about this, make social media posts, emails, all that stuff going out, but this coming Wednesday and this coming Friday, culminating in the night of worship and prayer, I'm inviting you to join us to fast for a 12-hour or 24-hour period from food if you can do it in a healthy way. So we live in an instant gratification culture that says do what feels good whenever you want. And so this is kind of against that grain in order to press into the things of God. Now, let me be very clear in this invitation. If you struggle with mental or emotional health, body image and eating disorders, anything like that, listen, you're loved, you're safe, you're welcome here. We want to help you, but we want you to also pay attention to what would be healthy for you. So this is all invitational. We want you to use wisdom and pressing into it. You know, if you're a mom nursing and you can't, you know, you maybe shouldn't fast for 12 hours, maybe it is giving up just lunch, or maybe it's giving up just dinner or something. You're welcome to uh, just appropriate this to what is actually healthy for you. Um, but if you're able, I want to encourage you to press into either the sun up to sundown or even a 24-hour period on Wednesday and Friday. You guys tracking with me? Feel good about it? Okay, that's, that's uh, the longest announcement that I have. Uh, next up, we've got a couple things. Yeah, Christmas Eve at City Church. Let's go. You guys excited? How many of you guys are out of town for Christmas Eve? Yeah. Welcome to Boulder. It's so good. Hey, so uh, two things. We have uh, Christmas Eve uh, live online. Um, that, so depending on where you're going home and if you, you know, have somewhere to go or your family's into that kind of thing, maybe you have family that's far from God and they're not really into that whole Jesus and Christmas thing, uh, then you can use the online platform and you can watch Christmas Eve online with them. You can like get your own birthday candles out and do your own candle lighting and all of that. But we want to invite you to begin to think through, one, being creative in this space, but also leveraging the season uh, for what it means. And so uh, the people that maybe don't go to church or are not really sure where they find themselves when, when it comes to a relationship with God, the people in your circles of influence where you live, work, and play, we want to challenge you and invite you to begin to pray and think about who God has put in your path that you can invite to come with you to Christmas Eve at City Church. And you're like, well, I'm not here. Listen, don't disqualify your influence just because you're not in the room. It is a little weird to be like, hey, you should go. I'm not going, but you should. It's a little weird, but you can just qualify it. Like, hey, listen, it's awesome. And if you don't want to go to Christmas Eve, come with me anytime. But the evening is, is geared toward people that are wrestling with faith or are far from God or have been hurt by the church or walked away from faith or have no idea what they believe about it. And so it's not just a feel-good evening. It's really, really helpful, but also an evening full of all your favorite Christmas songs, a special candle lighting, Christmas cookies, and all of the amazing stuff uh, that we get to do that evening. Also, for Christmas Eve, uh, we will not have a, a, a Sunday gathering. So the 24th is a Saturday. The 25th is a Sunday, and we will not have a gathering that Sunday. So our weekend gathering is the Christmas Eve service on that Saturday. You guys tracking with me? 
So my challenge for you today, as we fast, as we pray, as we press into more of God and more of the Holy Spirit, that whole body hungering for God, in addition, is pressing into God's will and work for our lives. And so then we're going to start praying for people around us. And the challenge for you today is going to be to invite three people to come with you or to go, see if you're not going to be here, or to watch online or whatever variant when it comes to Christmas Eve. That's the prayer and fasting invitation for this week. You guys with me on that? Uh, the, the, the cards are super cool and personalized, so they have a little blank for your name. And listen, I know that you, you know, sometimes we're like, oh, it's so weird to invite people. Listen, God has given me like four opportunities this week to invite people in a really meaningful way that I never thought I would have the opportunity to invite. And get this, it was received with favor. <laughs> like, I think I'm going to come. And I'm like, no one ever says that. So just don't count yourself out um, because I definitely like trip over my words. You guys want to hear something awesome? This morning, leaving to go uh, uh, to, to gather here, and my neighbor's furnace went out, and she's like, hey, can you help real fast? I'm checking it out. And she's like, hey, you're getting ready to go to church, aren't you? And she's like, I'm like, yeah. She's like, are you speaking? To, do you do that speaking thing? Is that what you do? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm doing that today. She's like, cool. So like, what are you talking about? I'm like, oh, you know, demonic oppression. <laughs> and it came out of my mouth, and I was like, hmm. That, and she was like, oh. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that probably wasn't to be clear, the title of my message is Jesus and the Devil, and it's not as weird as you think it is. I'm like, man, I should have had coffee before I had that conversation. So don't be, don't be like, if that's me, you, you can do way better than that, okay? So let's just make you feel better. Um, so you're going to get invites on the way out today for that. And the last but not least, we have um, a food drive for EFA, the Emergency Family Assistance Association that we partner with here in Boulder. Uh, they came to us. We partner with them. They're amazing partners in the city. But uh, this season, as you probably know, has, is just a, a, has a lot of massive need and so much so this year that their food bank is wiped out. And so they, they're doing everything they can to keep it full, but now they're reaching out to local partners saying, hey, we need help, and, uh, and, and everything's bare here, and lots of people have needs. And so we just got done with Thanksgiving, and, and I'm grateful for how our church showed up in generosity there. And so this is, think of this as the Christmas push. We, they have a food drive that we're doing here at City Church, and it's not just for the church. So anyone you know of that would like to help out Alpha and families in need, the next two Sundays, we're hosting this food drive uh, during, during our weekend gatherings. And so you can bring over the next two Sundays all of the items on the list that you're going to receive on the way out. It's going to be on our social platforms. There's an event. You can share it. It's on our website. But you're going to get that card on the way out. We're just asking you to check out that list. You can bring any, all of those items, some of those items, a can of green beans. It doesn't really matter. Anything and everything helps. And we're glad to partner with them to serve families in need, aren't we? Is that good? All right. Hey, so thank you for being a radically generous church and pressing into that. You're going to get that on the way out. Okay. So you guys good? Everybody ready? Okay. So I already gave away the title of my message today. It's not demonic oppression, but we are going to lean in. You're like, what in the world? Christmas time, Christmas season, a little bit of uh, a spiritual demonic oppression conversation. In the Holy Spirit series, part of this was also planned, but also you can go read Revelation 12 on your own. I think you could like argue, you know, your little, cute little baby Jesus manger scene. You maybe like need to stick a red dragon in there as well. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go read Revelation 12 on your own, and, and it'll be pretty rad, okay? So just, that's just my, my plug for trying to make sense of why we're talking about Jesus and the devil and Christmas time. But I promise it's going to be helpful. Two resources I need to give you before we get into today's conversation. Number one, uh, the screw tape letters. This is just because I can't carry everything today. I promise it's going to be helpful and encouraging no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. And listen, 
no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey, you are loved, safe, and welcome here. Our desire is to help you take some next steps, meet you where you are, whatever that means when it comes to your personal faith journey, we simply wanna meet you where you are and help you take some next steps toward a relationship with God. But a couple of resources that will help you if you're interested. Uh, this is an incredible piece of satire written by C.S. Lewis. It is so good and so very helpful. If you've never read it, I highly recommend it. You can listen to it on Audible or a book, but the Screwtape Letters is incredible. Uh, and then number two, uh, there's a book uh, recently released called Live No Lies by John Mark Homer, and he does, I think, an incredible job of not only speaking to our cultural moment, but also speaking to the, the, what, what, what the scriptures call the, the tension that we wrestle with of the world, the flesh, and the devil, or, and not the world as in people, but kind of the disordered designs, disordered desires, and then the enemy of your soul aka the devil. So he does an incredible job in this book. I highly recommend it. That's just some things to help you if you want to dig a little deeper into today's conversation. Um, have you guys heard, heard the phrase, uh, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free? Have you guys heard that before? That, that phrase comes from Jesus having a dialogue with some religious leaders, and it's more like an argument, but we'll call it a dialogue because he's Jesus. And you know, so, so we'll, we'll leave it to that. But it's connected to Jesus and his most, most in-depth teaching on the devil. So you'll, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And what Jesus is saying in that little statement is those who listen to him and obey him, those are the people that find true freedom. So Jesus being the son of God, he shows up and he's saying, you listen to me, you obey me, you align with what I say is reality, what it means to have a relationship with God and love people. That's where true freedom is found. And he's having a debate with the religious leaders and they're like, what, what do you mean? Who needs to be free? We're, we're so free. We're like, extra free, free 75. I mean, it's so good. And, they, and they're like, man, what do you mean? We've never been slaves, which is super ironic because they're Jews and they were totally in slavery in Egypt. But anyway, you know, like they're missing that point. But then because they're frustrated, they take a stab at Jesus and it's pretty like, pretty intense. They say, oh, well, we're not illegitimate children like you, which is the nice way of saying, if you translate it in the Greek, it's like, we're not bastards like you. And, and there's like, you know, he's, he's just nobody from nowhere, and he's got no street cred, all that stuff. And so then Jesus responds to that space, and he says, if you knew who I was, if you really knew me, and you really belong to God, you would love me. But here's how Jesus responds in John 8. Check it out. He says, but, to these religious leaders, you belong to your father, the devil. <laughs> Dang, <laughs> right? Um, my mom used to call him that, but I didn't think... Right, it's <laughs> a joke. All right. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. This is really interesting, Jesus' most in-depth teaching on the devil and here's what we have. Let me give you three implications, three observations, if you will, from this quick teaching in John 8. Number one, for Jesus, there is a devil. And I know, you know, post-Christian, Western, enlightened minds. Listen, for Jesus, at least, there is indeed a devil, and it looks nothing like this. Watch this video. You're not just going to let die like that. Shoulder angel. Don't listen to that guy. He's trying to lead you down the path of righteousness. I'm gonna lead you down the path that rocks. I'll come off it. You come off it. Yeah. 
Nothing like that. But we live in this unique world where we kind of go to two extremes. But for Jesus, the devil is a real, immaterial, intelligent being at work in the world, working to undermine the true nature of reality, all things good and beautiful and true. And, 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 and the scriptures refer to him as the prince of this world, like, like as in the most powerful creature on the planet. So I don't have the time to give you like a super in-depth teaching on the devil, nor is that the goal necessarily today, but I feel like I got to give you a little bit of context. Let me summarize just a few big points from scripture for you. Uh, uh, the devil is a created being, not equal to God, right? It's not like this, this opposing force, and it's like Mordor versus the elves, and who's gonna win, right? The devil is a created being that has fallen, rebelled against God, and now is working to undermine and destroy all that is good and beautiful and right and true in God's world. C.S. Lewis famously said it, there is, there is no, no neutral ground on the planet. There's no spiritually neutral ground on the planet. Everything is either... Um, influenced by God or counter-influenced by the devil or the Satan. He's got lots of different names, the tempter, the accuser. Go read Revelation 12, you can see that. And so you might be sitting here and you're like, seriously, Drake, like the devil, the devil and his demons. You guys watched Tom and Jerry when you were kids, right? And it's like, so, so you know, there's like, the, okay, well, where, where's the devil? He's in, he's in hell with a pot and a pitchfork and a red suit. Probably not, uh, um, right? What we see in scripture is there is a real devil on the, in the world, immaterial. And again, you might be sitting here thinking, man, I, listen, I went to community college, bro, and I don't, I don't, I don't have a category for this. But here's, here's my simple invitation today. What if Jesus knew the true nature of reality better than we do? Just a thought. Like, right? I mean, I mean we, we lean a lot into Jesus, and so this is, you can be mad at him, not me, but what if Jesus understood the true nature of reality better than we do? What if our Western world is blind to an entire aspect of reality that we see clearly in the scriptures? So just consider with me the possibility that Jesus is right today. Ephesians 6, you can write this down. I'm not going to put it on the screen for you. But listen to the author here in Ephesians writing to encourage early followers of Jesus. He says, guys, listen, finally, this is Ephesians 6.10, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can, you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities and powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. What if Jesus and the authors of the New Testament are more in line with reality than we are? Possible? Cool. Number two, a couple of observations from John 8 there. The devil's end goal for Jesus is to spread ruin and death in our lives and society. 
So Jesus in John 10, 10, right after this conversation, he says, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly, but the thief comes to kill and to steal and to destroy. As in, there's an active enemy against your very soul, the home that you live in and our building, not the brick and mortar, but right, the, the, the society that we are working in. And again, he's against all, what's he doing? Wrecking one relationship, wrecking love, one relationship, one home, one community at a time. And so this devil and and these demons, these other spiritual beings under his leadership, right? There's, There's no neutral space. So Jesus makes it clear. Not only there is a devil, but he's got an agenda. And number three, the devil's primary means, don't miss this, the devil's primary means of accomplishing that goal is lies. He's the father of lies. So you get through Halloween season and you watch too many scary movies and you and I have ideas that are mostly ignored and we don't know, you know, like, like they're creepy and, and so maybe that's one version of it. All you can think of is the exorcist. But for Jesus, while, while those things are true in the scriptures, Jesus' primary concern seems to be that he is the father of lies, meaning the origin point of all deception is in this enemy. The origin point of all deception, it's his go-to, is lies, not possession. And so I don't know where your brain goes, but there's this conversation, if you've been around the church for a minute, you know, like language around like spiritual warfare, which is not actually a phrase used in the scriptures, but we see this kind of conversation talked about like war. You ever feel like you're just waking up and you're, like life is really hard? The authors of, of the scriptures would say, like, yeah, like, like life is like a war. As much as we don't like, maybe that we like, you know, walking with Jesus like a journey. You know, that, that sounds way more fun. But, like, man, sometimes it's like a war, isn't it? And sometimes that war is on your mind. And sometimes th- there's extremes, right? Like superstition and paranoia pushes us to blame the devil for everything. And you, you're probably smarter than that. Right, you're probably on the other end of the spectrum, but there's some people, right, what do they do? They blame the, the devil for everything. Wake up in the morning, it's 10 degrees outside, your car battery's dead, must be a demon. It's gotta be a devil. Gotta be the devil in my car battery. Or it's 10 degrees outside and you haven't replaced it in three years. I mean, it could just be that, right? And, and it, sometimes we blame, and people, and this is, I think, what makes us kind of roll our eyes at this conversation, is sometimes people blame the devil or demons for things that are just like bad luck, or, or coincidence, or just our own foolishness. Like, like if you were on your way to church this morning, you got, uh, you got in a fight with your spouse in the car on the way here, like, oh, the devil attacked us on the way to church. I mean, mate, like the ruler of this world, the, the prince of evil and darkness visited your minivan on the way to church? I mean, I mean maybe, I'm not, I'm not saying he can't. Or maybe you just said something stupid to your wife and hurt her feelings. And you were tired and grouchy and grumpy and didn't sleep well and you, and you just did something of your own volition, right? Is that possible? So you guys with me? Like we, don't want, we don't want to just go to the extreme of blaming the devil for everything, but I think the hard swing that most of us fall into is the complete other side of this, this ignorance or, or intentional oblivion, volitional oblivion toward anything spiritual. Uh, there's a movie called The Usual Suspects and there's a quote from that movie that's pretty famous. It says that the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he did not exist. And so listen, you read the Gospels, the stories of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those Bibles in front of you, they're gifts to you, you can take them home. But you read those stories, and what do you see? I mean, you see all kinds of stuff. I mean, you do see demonic possession, and you see disease, and, and all kinds of different afflictions from the demon. I mean, you see that stuff in there. 
But it's kind of unique that Jesus' most in-depth teaching on the devil is not about those things, but about lies, deception. And so it seems to be that Jesus' primary focus here is around truth and lies more than being concerned about a demon in your car battery. And so listen, we see it. This is important. We're going to deal with it at the very end of the service. Demonization, disease, nightmares, affliction, things like that. Those are very real. We see them in the scriptures, and we're not taking them light at all. So I don't want you to hear me say, okay, Jesus, there's only lies and nothing else. It's very true. Those are all very biblical. But Jesus seems to be saying that's not the primary fight, the primary means. You guys tracking with me on this? All right, here we go. So let's look at Jesus' interaction with the devil because it's, this is teaching, but let's look at Jesus go toe-to-toe with the devil for a second. You guys ready? Matthew chapter 4, let me show you. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, toe-to-toe with the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. Yeah, we're doing it for 12 hours, and you're going to be just so hangry you can't stand it. But Jesus, 40 days fasting, and he's in the wilderness. Now watch what happens. And just look for a pattern as we walk through this, okay? The tempter came to him and said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He goes on. Then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. Now now the devil is quoting scripture back to Jesus. He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you won't strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. He goes on. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. He says, I'll give you all of this if you'll bow down and worship me. And Jesus said, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him, Luke adds, until an opportune time, and then angels came and attended to Jesus. You guys see a pattern here? A couple of different times, the devil shows up with deception, with half-truths, and with lies. So Jesus is being tempted by the devil. And how does Jesus respond? Holy water, silver cross, you know, whatever kind of other weird things you can think of from the movies that you watch, right? Like, well, how, how does Jesus, what does he do? Cling onto a rosary really tight and do some, <laughs> what, what does he do? He responds with scripture, and it's so important. Jesus responds out loud to this temptation as unreality. So, that, so this deception coming his way, he says scripture, he, he quotes scripture as reality and truth out loud to himself and the devil. Over and over again, Jesus responds to this deception and this temptation out loud to the devil and to himself. And he stands on it as authority. Why? Because this this represents God's authority and truth. And so for you and I, we we have the ability to stand in that same space as Jesus' followers. So by what authority? It's by God's authority. As children of God, you have that same authority. It doesn't stop there because then the devil comes back and twists a half-truth again, takes a verse out of context. So Jesus is not like magical formula quoting scripture and like, this is how it works. Jesus is saying these things as reality. He believes them. You guys tracking with me? It's not like, oh no, you know, I'm being tempted. Let me just quote a few verses and everything goes away. Jesus is quoting scripture as reality to reframe the lies in front of him. And then Jesus commands the devil to leave, right? It's not a suggestion. Get away, please. You're bothering me. It's not cronk, right? You're confusing me. If you could just go away, that'd be great. He commands the devil to leave. So the pattern, what is it? 
speak scripture out loud and command the devil to get away. That's what we see from Jesus. You say, well, what does this look like practically? Because I've never had the devil show up. I've also never been in a desert. So um, what does it look like practically for me? Let, me? let me give you some clarification because you might be wondering, like, how does this practically play out? You ever had just your mind be bombarded with discouragement, with lies, with unreality? You ever been just in a, in a headspace that you cannot get out of and, and you can even know the truth and you cannot embrace it? The truth can be glaring you in the face. You can have other people telling you that very truth and you are being buried under a false reality. You ever been there? Right? What, what, what are we walking through in this cultural moment? Depression is at an all-time high. Purpose and joy and passion are sucked right out of people. Our feeds on Instagram are drowning us in everything discouraging and depressing you can possibly find. And on top of that, you got voices in your head. And Jesus says they have an author. They have an origin point. And it's not from the God who loves you. So let me give you some clarification as we move on today. Um, because you might be asking, okay, can, can a Jesus follower, can a Christian be influenced by the demonic? Or, or, or one word that gets thrown around that's kind of creepy is like possessed, right? So let's talk about that for a second. Can a Jesus follower be possessed? We, we've got to talk about it because it's what, what you see in the movies. But I think it's really important. Gary Brashears is uh, the professor of systematic theology at Western Seminary in Portland. And he does a really good job of breaking this down. He says, it depends what you mean when you ask that. Can, can a Christian, can a follower of Jesus be possessed? Well, he said there's three different definitions for that word, so it depends on what you mean. One definition is owned. Can a Christian or, or a follower of Jesus be owned, possessed by the devil or his demons? The answer is no, emphatically. With the spirit of the Lord is the freedom. The spirit of God taking up residence means there's no room for demonic oppression in that manner. But he says if you mean influence, another, another way to to translate that word is influenced. Can, it, can a Jesus follower be influenced by the devil and his demons? Well, what was Jesus? Right, go, go, well, we just read it, Matthew 4. Influenced, right? Absolutely influenced. Primary means was through lies. And the last word, he said, another word can be dominated, which is unique. He said that this one, he leans toward yes, but it's a unique answer because a Christian can't be dominated, but they don't have to be. And what he said, he's, he's like, I think of the example of, of a battered wife, someone who keeps going home to their abuser, even though they have access to a phone and to 911. So what is that? Is, is there 911 available? Is there a, the ability to get out of that abusive relationship? The answer is yes. But you and I also know it's way more complicated than that, don't we? And so dominated, he says, probably, but you don't have to stay there. Okay, so he's smarter than me, so I figured I'd give you that. So let's talk about influence for just a minute. You guys cool with that? How can a Jesus follower be influenced, and how can we work against that? Um, let's go to a couple of things. James chapter 4. This is Jesus' brother. He says, submit yourselves to God and resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist the devil. This word uh, is, is like heavy opposition. Think of a, a lineman. We've got Bo here, and some, some, he, he works a lot with CU football players, and I want you to think about like that awesome offensive lineman that just explodes off the line with force, right? That's what this word resist means when it comes to the devil. Resist the devil and emphatically he must flee. What does Jesus do in the wilderness? He resists the devil with the truth of God's word as reality and the power of God's spirit. He resists the devil. What does the devil do? He flees. So this is intentional, explosive opposition. This is not wishful thinking. This is replacing what's going on in our mind. Paul says this way that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. You don't just like quit thinking bad thoughts. 
But what is Jesus doing? He's replacing the deception with truth and with life. But it doesn't stop there. Check out 1 Peter chapter 5. Be alert, he says, and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. There it is again, the same word of hard opposition. Standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing that same kind of suffering. So we see two words. We see resist and we see stand firm. You guys tracking with me? So what do we do when you're influenced with thoughts that are not from your father, the God who loves you and the scriptures that he's given you and from the spirit around you and the community that's bringing you truth? What do you do when you're met with opposition, when you're getting mental bombardment in other areas of life? We stand firm and we resist So what does Jesus do? He quotes the scriptures for himself and to the devil as reality. But to stand firm, what are we standing firm in? In the truth of who God says that you are. This is really important, right? Sometimes people say like, you know, you respond in Jesus' name as like it's a formula. Like, uh, like, man, the spirit of anxiety, the spirit of oppression in Jesus' name, you need to leave this house. Leave this room. Leave my friend in Jesus' name. Is that a magic formula? No. It's a reminder of where your authority comes from. So let me read for you Colossians chapter one. This is, this is amazing. Paul's writing to new believers and he says, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. Wouldn't you like to know God's will for your life? To understand what he's put you on this planet for? That you'd have all wisdom and understanding that the spirit gives so that you might live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you might have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father. Who wants that? Right? I I mean, I, I read this over and over again, and I'm like, man, I want all of that. So watch what he goes on to say. How do you get it? From the Father who has qualified you as in God's the one doing the work, not you, to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he, being the Father, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, we're made right with God, and the forgiveness of sins. I don't want you to miss this incredible truth. For for Jesus and the New Testament authors, there are two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of light and there's the kingdom of darkness. There's no neutral spirituality for Jesus and his followers. And Paul is reminding us, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are now in the kingdom of light. It's identity. You have been transferred, picked up from over here and put here. It's not you're kind of in the middle and there's a little bit of light and a little bit. No, you're either in the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light. For Jesus, you're either of your father, the devil, which is in incredibly strong language, or you're born again into the family of God and God is your father. This is the reality. So why is this important? Because when we stand firm, you have to stand firm in this reality. How, how, how do we press into this? How, how do I stand firm in that? What do I have to do to be in the kingdom of light? You just let him rescue you. That's it. 15 years old, I didn't give a rip about Jesus or church or any of that, and I was doing my own thing, but I was familiar with what felt like darkness at times in my life, 
Someone told me about Jesus and that he loved me and he died for my sin and rose again to save me, set me free, give me new life. And I'm like, seriously? And the best I knew how, I said, man, I, I, I believe Jesus, you're the son of God and I want you to rescue me. And he took me out of the darkness and he put me in the kingdom of light. And if you're a follower of Jesus in the room, that is the reality that you live in no matter what lie is in your mind. That is the reality. And so what do we do? What does Jesus do? He quotes scripture. So this might be one you lean into. This is the reality of who I am and who God says that I am. Some of you in the room, you need to let the Father rescue you today. The devil loves to deceive and to accuse and to tempt. So let me just give you some quick examples and then I'm gonna invite Bo to come up in just a second. And Carl, you can come up now. But, but I need you, because you might, this might feel abstract to you, so let me give you just a couple of things. Maybe you get this feeling, this overwhelming thought process that you're just, you're not strong enough. You're never going to be tough enough to overcome that addiction. You're never going to be good enough to be in a relationship. That thing God has called you to do, it's impossible. There's no way. You'll never be strong enough to overcome that struggle. This is just who you are. You're just an angry person. They just need to learn to deal with it. You, you just speak your mind. It's their problem that they get their feelings hurt. It's not yours. You might have these different deceptions in your mind. You're never going to be enough. No one's ever going to love you. You're only significant when you perform or when you show up. You're never going to have enough. You're always going to be lacking. You're never going to be able to be generous. You're always going to be stuck financially. You're always going to be irresponsible. Your priorities are out of whack, and anxiety and stress are just your portion in life. That's just the way it is. That's deception. Those are lies. And every single one of them, those are just a few examples, can be met directly with the truth of Scripture. That's reality. But he doesn't stop there. He also accuses us. He says, look at all the crap that you've done. And he's the master of the half-truth. Because I'm like, yeah, I have done that. Yeah, I didn't do that. Yeah, I, I did say that. Yeah, I, those things are true about me. Except he conveniently leaves out what Jesus has done for me. He conveniently leaves out the forgiveness that I've been made new, that I have the Spirit of God. So you might hear, no one values you. You're worthless. You're never going to be enough. He's going to accuse you. And it doesn't stop there. He also tempts us. He tempts us to say, hey, listen, your way is better than God's. You can't trust God. You can't trust people. You definitely can't trust the church. You can't trust authority. Your way is probably better. You know what? Your marriage, it's not working out. I get it. You know, you married young. You didn't know what you were doing. You guys have just kind of fallen out of love, but there's a really good chance. You get a divorce, you're going to find somebody that really makes you happy. That's a temptation. Hey, listen, you know, porn is not that bad. I mean, there's other outlets and, you know, everyone's got needs and it's just, you know, something that you do on your own. Don't, don't worry about it. It has no effect on you or anybody else. Hey, you know what? You'll finally be significant if you can just achieve whatever that is in front of you. Hey, you know what? You're, you're going to finally have peace in your life if you can just attain that thing. Hey, you know what? All that pain of loneliness that you have, it's going to go away if you can just, you guys see it? And these lies, they come at us constantly. And they don't just disappear. So what do we do? We fill our minds 
with truth from Scripture as reality. And we let people around us speak truth over us. That's why community and city groups are so important. And Paul says we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. We stand firm in the identity of who God says that we are. And we resist. And so some of you, man, you're, you're struggling and, and you're bombarded and it's heavy. And you're not, you don't have to walk in this alone. But when we read the Gospels, it's not just this space, right? It's not just how we handle the demonic influence in our own lives. But also, what, what are we doing? Our goal is to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and what? Do what Jesus did. So let me show you one more thing before Bo comes up. Uh, this is Matthew 10. Jesus, we, we looked at this many times in this series, but Jesus is talking to the disciples, and he says, as you go, I want you to proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, and drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do the same stuff Jesus did. So, as followers of Jesus, it's not, it's not enough just to be aware of the devil's schemes in our own lives. It's also being aware of how we serve those around us to bring the kingdom into the communities that we're in. You walk into a city group and you feel a spirit of heaviness or on a, on a weekend gathering or just something you're wrestling with personally. So I'm going to invite Bo to come. Bo is uh, uh, the leader of InterVarsity here at CU. You can grab your microphone. You guys put your hands together for Bo. Um, and I, I just asked Bo, but Bo's been on this journey a little longer um, than we have. I told you we can't lead where we've never been, right? And so I'm on this journey with you. And Joe, Joe, Bo is, I don't know who Joe is, but Bo has been on this journey a little longer um, and just has got some cool stories. And I feel like stories uh, represent reality. Did you turn that on? Get a little switch on it. So um, I got, I'm just going to ask Bo a couple questions. He's going to share some stories yeah. with you guys. You guys cool with that as we land the plane? So we already looked at like different ways that we are maybe oppressed or afflicted by the devil and his demons, right? Thoughts, lies, mental bombardment. We spent some time there. But, it, but it's not, that's not the only thing we see in Scripture. So sometimes we see demonic oppression show up as illness or disease or sickness. And so my question for you, Bo, is, Bo, where do we see that kind of stuff in Scripture? And then what would be an appropriate way to respond? Yeah, so you see that kind of stuff all throughout Scripture. Um, to... Two parts in, in the Gospels come to mind. In Luke 13, Jesus heals a woman. She's been bent over for a long time, lays hands on her, and she gets well, but he does it on a Sabbath, which is a great way to upset the Theobros, as always. So they're angry at him. They're questioning him. Why are you doing this? There's six other days in the week. Why this day? And then uh, Jesus, I'm going to paraphrase him, basically goes, it doesn't matter what day people get well on. Satan has been torturing this one for 18 years and she's been set free. So the implication is that the root cause of her illness was demonic. It wasn't just a physical ailment. So there was a deep demonic influence. Jesus gets rid of it by laying on hands and flies away. And then there's like more specific. It's Matthew 12, verse 22. And it says, they brought him a demon-possessed man. So that's a good clue that there's a demon in the man. You guys follow that one? Yeah. Okay. They brought him one. So there's a demon in there. Cool. And Jesus heals him so he can talk and see. Hmm. So evidently the demon that was in him was causing him to be blind and mute. Jesus heals him and it's gone. Hmm. So you see those things happen. So the way you'd want to respond to that um, is get rid of the demon. <laughs> but easier said than done. Uh, I had two stories. I'm going to mix one of them if that's all right. Um, about a year, a little over a year ago, um, it was October of 21. 
So we had a weekend uh, amongst InterVarsity, we saw three physical healings happen. One happened on a Friday night. It was pretty dramatic and instantaneous. So hey, would you share your, your story Sunday night? And maybe that'll encourage others to pray for the sick and maybe something will happen. Well, two more people get well on Sunday night. One of them, uh, the way that it shakes out is we said, here's a story, let's break up into groups of two or three or four, pray for anything, especially a physical ailment. And so they all break out and come back together. How did it go? Well, uh, this guy raises his hands. He goes, something interesting happened. As soon as he put his hand on me and started praying for me, the pain in my groin that I've had, he's on the basketball team, had like a hernia type injury. It got way worse, which is not confidence building if you're praying for someone <laughs> to get well. And it gets worse. Um, <clears throat> so like Drake said, I've walked it a little bit longer than uh, Drake has been, but a lot longer than 18 and 19 year olds have. Um, so as I hear that, I go, that sounds like an afflicting spirit. That's a, that's a demon causing the, the injury. But you can't just go, oh, you got a demon in you in front of 20 college kids, and we need to get it out. So we have dialogue, try to make it safe, because uh, we want to respect him. But he's having this conversation in front of everyone. So, all right, well, how about you get in the middle? We'll pray for it. And so we let everyone lay hands and pray, and not a lot's happening. And I went, all right, well, it's, now it's time. In the name of Jesus, afflicting spirit, we command you to leave his body. You have no authority to be here. And so in the name of Jesus, leave now. Wait a few moments. How do you feel? And he's shocked, quietly under his breath, he goes, it left. <laughs> what left? The pain is gone. I don't, I don't know what's happening, but it feels hot and tingling. Like, oh, that's the Holy Spirit on you. It'll be like that all night. Don't, you'll, you'll be fine. So that's Sunday night. By Monday night, he's fully better. Uh, his pain level, he said, was about a seven before we prayed. After we get it out, it was down to a four. And then 24 hours later, he's better. And then he goes and sees a team doctor, gets it verified, doesn't have to have surgery. Wow. Because he had a demon in him. We got rid of it, and now he's well. Man, yeah. that's church, you guys? Yeah, everybody's like, oh my goodness. So we, we give you that because we see it in the scriptures. We see it in reality. We see it happening all over the world, and then we live in the West where it's a struggle. One more quick story, but hey, to be clear, we, our go-to is not every problem is a demon. right? Sometimes you just have a hernia. <laughs> right? Sometimes you just rolled your ankle. Like, it, it does. It, that is the case, right? And so the key here is listening to the Holy Spirit and listening to the person. And, and so the, one other piece, because it doesn't just stop there, we do see in the scriptures people demonize, we, we, right? And, and you hear these stories around the world less so than you hear them here. But, but Bo, give us one, one just quick story of, of where we see that in the scriptures and then how we would yeah. respond. Yeah, I mean, anytime Jesus interacts with a demon, well, not demon, most times they're talking to him, right? So the afflicting spirit on the, the groin was not talking. But in scripture you see uh, goodness, I think Mark 1, um, Jesus goes into synagogue and a demon cries out out of a person who doesn't seem like they knew that they had one, was just like you, got up, showered off, cleaned up, went to church, synagogue for him, he's sitting in there, Jesus starts teaching, and all of a sudden the demon erupts. So like the guy was in his right mind, he was not possessed or however we want to describe it, demonized is probably a better way, it wasn't an active thing, but in the presence of Jesus, it, it gets kind of jarred loose and the demon pops out. Uh, you can also think of the guy that they call Legion. He had roughly 2,000 demons within him and Jesus gets them out and all the pigs run into the water. That's a good story. It's in all, is it all four Gospels? It's in least three. And then you can also look at, um, oh, what was the last one I was going to look at? Oh, the Jesus goes up on the Mount of Transfiguration, right? He does that and he comes back down and the disciples that didn't get to go with him 
they're struggling to get a demon out of a boy and the the devil or the demon is grabbing him and throws him to the ground it's tried to kill him according to his father throw him into fire try to drown him all these sorts of things so you see that coming out of him and jesus is able to get rid of it so then this is the uh this is the one where you go hey, you're a bit crazy here uh, about six weeks ago i was down in broomfield there's a church down there um, they're stepping into walking with the gifts of the Spirit, partner with the Holy Spirit. We want to see people get well. We want to see people get free. Will you come teach on healing? So we go. Uh, and when I say we, I took about six students from CU to come be the prayer ministry team with me. And so we, I teach on healing. Now it's time to do the healing, which always terrifies people. So here, here's, some, here's some guidelines. Go for it. We see five people get physically well. Um, Probably two out of the four or five inner healings, like emotional trauma, those are harder to tell, but they, they take more time. But two of them are probably well. And so we're debriefing that with them. What happened? What didn't happen? Let's work through that so you can be more effective ministers the next time. And everybody kind of leaves the building. The, uh, the pastor grabs me. We're going to go grab lunch. Here's the restaurant. Uh, I'll meet you over there. Great. And I turn to go. A lady grabs me and says, will you pray for my cousin? Sure. Not thinking much of it. I came to pray for people to teach people. You, you can't say no when somebody asks you that, right? <laughs> so, sure, we'll do that. Uh, my wife grabs me. We're, I have the girls loaded. I'll meet you at the uh, at the restaurant because we came in two different cars. I, I had to get there early. And I, great, I'm going to pray for her probably five minutes, and then I'll, I'll meet you there. What seems to be the problem? Um, the, the woman asked me for her cousin because she, her cousin doesn't speak much English. So it's through a translation. Uh, well... This is what's going on. Two weeks ago, she was at a women's retreat, and she had a thing grabbing her and choking her by the neck, and she says it threw her into a deep pit. But at the conference, the floor of the deep pit rose up, and she was able to get out. I thought, that's weird. Hmm, okay, was well, this the first time this has ever happened to you? No, it, it's, it's happened a long time. Well, when did it start? Um, 14 years old? And she's, she's 26 at this point. 14 years. Okay, well, what happened when you were 14? Anything traumatic happened? Oh, I ran away from home. And, and through our dialogue, uh, what I learned is that she is raped at age 14 by her father. And then at age 15, her parents are going to sell her into a sex slave. Wow. And then she tells me that. I start crying. I just give her a hug. I'm so sorry. And I hear, that'll open doors. Thinking, yeah, that's going to open up a lot of emotional problem. This is what my mind thought. Probably should have thought something else. Um, so, all right, well, I think we're going to have some inner healing going down. And um, we start praying, come Holy Spirit, he's resting on her. And if you've prayed for people, the Spirit to rest on people, there's a, there's a variety of ways they tend to interact. Uh, she starts swaying a little bit, kind of, whoa, um, she's going to fall over. So we set her down in a chair, you okay, you're, you're doing fine. And as uh, she's in the chair, she starts kind of like wanting to slink to the ground. Man. Spirit must be really on her. We're praying for her. She goes all the way to the ground. And as she goes to the ground, she starts grabbing her neck. Oh no, what she described to me is happening. And then all of a sudden her eyes roll back and a different voice comes out. And it's not her. She's, she's maybe five foot. It's a deep voice yelling at me in Spanish. I speak a little bit, but not enough to understand. I'm um, saying she belongs to me. They sold her. I bought her. Um, and it starts mocking us. It starts taking her, twisting her on the ground. She's trying to get away. And in that moment, it was like, oh, we're, we're no longer doing inner healing. We're doing a deliverance right now. Um, and so for 
I think the whole thing was 45 minutes from we prayed for me to the time we walked out. So we start praying, we rebuke it, we bind you up in the name of Jesus. Nope. In the name of Jesus, we command you to shut up. I don't want to talk to, to you anymore. I want to talk to, uh, we'll say Mary. Mary, I want to talk to you. Nope, Mary. Nope, nope, stop talking. I'm talking to Mary. And she finally comes to and say, okay, hey, this is what's going on. We need to bring you under the, uh, your entire body under the power of Jesus. We need to concentrate your body, your sexuality, everything involved. So you, you're good with that? She said, yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I don't know what you would say, but that's the right response. And so that's what we do. We, all right, let's, uh, let's pray for her. We consecrate all this. That makes the demon mad. Uh, it comes back in control, rolls it around a little bit more, but she ends up flipping over onto all fours at this point and starts coughing. And so all right, well, in the name of Jesus, come out of her. Come out. It, it took us a few times. Uh, she's coughing, coughing, and all of a sudden she just vomits all over the place, and everything stops. And apparently in the vomit is when the, uh, the demon came out. So she's on the ground. She's, oh, she's back together. Um, myself and the translator are sitting next to her. We're, we're crying. We're hugging. There's throw up on the ground. It's a, it's a beautiful mess. <laughs> uh, so we, if you remember the scripture, Jesus talks about if a demon gets out, it looks for a, another place, but if it can't find one, it wants to go back to its house and it brings more. That pops up in our minds like, hey, you need to give yourself to Jesus, otherwise that thing might come back. And that was the easiest time I've ever led someone to Jesus. <laughs> right? They got the demon out, and actually I didn't even do it. The, uh, the translator knew how to do it, so I just sat there and watched. So the lady got free from her demon, um, gave her life to Jesus, and the last I checked with her probably a week, week and a half ago, She's still free. She's still doing well. She has a hard life. She's a 26-year-old single mom, but she's not tormented anymore. She feels freedom and, and peace and all those good things. Praise God. Yeah. That's amazing. Let's put our hands together for God's goodness. Isn't that amazing? Thank you, Bo. Um, hey, let's put our hands together for Bo for sharing. Thank you so much, man. Listen, I, I know that this, this is not a normal Sunday. This is not a normal topic. I know that stretches you. Listen, there's stories like that happening all over the world all the time. So I don't know where you are tonight, tonight, this morning, whatever time it is. But I want to invite you to a couple of quick things as we respond in worship today. Thank you, Bo, for sharing that. You guys have that. So some next steps, okay? If you're not a follower of Jesus, I just want to invite you. Ask God to rescue you. That's it. Trust that Jesus was enough. He can save you and set you free. Maybe that's your decision today. It's the best decision you'll ever make, and he changes your life forever. Number two, I want to invite you to receive prayer. We have prayer teams in the back. They've got name tags on on both sides of the auditorium. And if you need prayer over anything, pray over wisdom, pray over encouragement, pray, pray over mental issues and lies, anything we can pray for, any affliction at all, then we want to pray for you. I want to encourage you this week to spend time daily in the scriptures and in prayer. How do we stand firm and oppose? We do it with reality that we have from Jesus. I want to invite you, if you're comfortable, to share your struggles in city groups, the spaces where you can have people around you who love you and are going to pray for you and walk with you through this. I want to invite you to fast Wednesday and Friday with us as a reminder to press into all that God is doing. And I want to invite you to pray and invite three people to Christmas Eve to let God work in and through you to share the same good news that Jesus has. So we gave you a holistic theology of, of, of what the scriptures teach on this today. And again, I, I want to be very clear. I think 
Jesus leans into the primary means of the devil is he's a liar. But the rest of it we see in scripture too. So we don't just go around calling everything a demon, but we listen to the Holy Spirit and we respond. So I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to sing. God, thank you so much for our friends in the room. As we bow our heads and close our eyes, we want to create space in our hearts to listen. Holy Spirit, if someone's in the room who has never said yes to you, you're calling them from the kingdom of darkness and into light. Jesus, would they respond and let you rescue them today? Others of us, God, we struggle with mental health and anxiety and stress and depression and a bombardment on our lives of truth versus lies. And God, we want to be able to stand firm in what you say is reality, to oppose the devil and the lies that come our way, to walk in the life that is truly life. And Jesus, we want to share that life with the world around us. So would you put faces and names in our mind of the people that you love, that you're pursuing, that you want to work in through us for? We give you the rest of this morning to do whatever you want. Would you give us the boldness to respond if we need prayer, if we need to pray over someone, if we have a word for someone? God, put it on our hearts to respond. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.